Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Fred Funk from long distance somehow gets it to go. We can't believe it. The hat and the glasses come off. Fred Funk with the birdie at 16. All right, folks, welcome into Terps on the Tee with Fred Funk, the Hawk, and Chick Hernandez. I don't have a nickname. I guess, although I guess Chick is a nickname. Is that right? Yeah, I guess Chick is. It's a, it's, it's a it nickname. counts. Yeah. Uh, how you doing this week? I'm doing okay. Yeah. yeah. So you, uh, so the match play uh, finished up this week, Dell Technologies match play. Uh, congrats uh, to one Billy Horschel who wins for the first time uh, in three years. Um, and you were out there earlier in the week. You followed a, a couple of groups. You weren't, I know you, you texted me, you said you were following Sergio, but you weren't there when Sergio had the walk-off ace, were you? No, no, that was another day. I went the first day when he was playing Westwood, picked him up on the second hole, and he played, well, both of them were playing well, but Sergio put on a clinic. And then it got interesting because we went into lunch and we missed the 8th, ninth, and 10th, picked them back up on 11. And uh, uh, let's see, he was three up when we left. So Westwood won something there. Yeah. And he was, he was uh, two down. And they both hit it in the bunker, different bunkers, but uh, the tee shot's on 12, the part five. And they both hit it. We really couldn't tell where we were standing between them and where the ball ended up. Ended up, the pin was in the back, and they both short-sided themselves. And really tough chips. Uh, Sergio had a hard one, and then Westwood had a harder one. <laughs> um, less, less room to work with. They both could have left it way short in the valley or they could have chipped it long into the water easy and uh they both had really good chips they both make birdie i'm going wow that was really good stuff we've already seen good quality golf but that was really good up and downs so then uh westwood we drive up to the landing area on 13 a drivable hole and westwood already laid up with an iron and sergio's two up and he decides he's going for it it's playing into about a 15 mile an hour wind and in, he backed up everything I've been saying to you that these the top three drivers I've ever seen uh, all day. He's driving it really good. He had a couple to the right, but it's really tight golf course, especially on the front nine there. Mm -hmm. But uh, he hit this shot. You know, I couldn't see it in the air and then it landed about 15 feet over the pin and stopped 20 feet from the pin, 25 feet at most. And that was kind of the game set match shot. It was, uh, where he hits it in the water, he gives momentum back to Lee and he's only one up. Instead, he goes three up and it was, it was pretty much over then. And then he hit, uh, Sergio hit a great drive on 14 and a great second shot. And, and, uh, it was over at that point. And then he closed it out on the next hole in 15. So that was really good golf. I'm glad I watched that group because it was really, um, both of them have been playing really well. Both of them have been in the headlines for a lot. Uh, Lee looked like he was a little tired, but at the same time, uh, he won the next day. And then, you know, they ended up ironically going to a playoff to win their pod. And Sergio won the pod with a hole in one that you were talking about. Yeah. I mean, how about, uh, and by the way, I buried the lead on this show because it's called Terps on the T. We're going to be joined by Hall of Fame basketball coach Gary Williams, who we both know very well. 
uh, and led the Terps to a 2002 national title. We got the final four this week, so we'll get into some basketball with Gary and also golf because he's a member of a very nice club here in the Maryland area and really cares about his golf game. So he's going to join us in a few minutes. Um, but Lee Westwood, so you come in second twice in a row. You're a little gassed, and then you lose on an ace. <laughs> I mean, you're like, and for Lee, because he's got a great attitude, he's like, he just, you know, Sergio, great shot. That's a way to go out. I'm out. I'll see y'all later. It's awesome. Yeah, it really was. Uh, you know, one thing is Lee and uh, Sergio are really good friends to start with. And uh, Sergio's getting, or Lee's getting married. I'm sorry, Sergio's already married. And uh, <laughs> he's getting remarried. And uh, he's invited to the wedding. He's not in the wedding. I found out, but he's invited to the wedding. And, um, you know, they, they're, you could see him talking a lot, especially early on the front nine. In the back nine, they were all in game mode and, you know, trying to close each other out. Lee trying to get back in the match, which he was really, you know, when he's two down with seven to go with those holes, anything can happen. But uh, when what Sergio did on 13, that was just I'm taking this match right here. And right. and he did. So um, it, that was neat to do. It was um, or neat to see. But the uh, golf course, I think uh, I remember when they first signed and I had already played. Austin Country Club quite a few times, and they're saying they're going to Austin Country Club for the match play. And well, where are they going to put everybody? Uh, there's not that much room there. I knew they were. Then I heard they were going to reverse the nines because they were going to have uh, 18 be what was normally nine and and make it that drivable risk reward type hole. And a lot of people can be around that hole versus uh, number nine uh, the way it normally is set up mm -hmm. uh, in the tournament. Uh, so anyway, it was. It works. It's really a golf course where you have to control your golf ball, especially on the front nine off the tee to set up your iron shots. Uh, I'd say a lot of a lot of the characteristics of the golf course kind of shut down at DeChambeau a little bit. <laughs> I think that's why he struggled. He didn't have that much. Uh, he couldn't take advantage of his firepower uh, that much on that golf course. And that's, uh, you know, it's good and bad. Anybody can win on that thing. Um, but it's an exciting tournament, a great venue. The city's really behind it. It was great to see spectators. I went in the tent on 15 and, uh, the, the huge bartender tent and I had a margarita in there and it was just rocking and rolling in there. It was a, it was a big party. Everybody was just loving being out there in the golf course. You said, uh, Bryson couldn't take advantage of his length. I mean, he did hit the drive of the week, a 46 yard drive, uh, that hit a tree limb and went backwards onto the putting green. Um, which you know, at that point, you just, you, you shake your head. I see by the way that Gary Williams is in the queue about to join us among the things that happened during the tournament. You got Sergio's ACE, the 46 yard drive by Bryson DeChambeau. Uh, Roy McIlroy hit a ball into a swimming pool, which, you know, if you're sitting at home in that house, you're like, what the hell is in my pool? Oh, it's a golf ball. Who's a golf ball? It says Rory on it. Oh, whatever that is. <laughs> Can't be Sabatini. That hit it that far. Um, <laughs> Brian Harmon made eight birdies and lost to Patrick Cantlay in a round. Um, and then DJ and Kevin Nile. Let's bring in uh, – I'm going to bring in Gary Williams right now. I might get his take on this. So, ladies and gentlemen, as he's about to make his – there he is, ladies and gentlemen. So, Gary. There he is. <laughs> as he looks at the screen. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome in the Hall of Fame basketball coach at the University of Maryland, uh, one Gary Williams, who joins us now. Uh, coach, how are you? I'm good. That's the nicest thing you ever said about me. That's <laughs> <laughs> Gary, I've always liked you. 
Hey, Fred, thank you. I appreciate you being here. Wait a second. Wait a second. How am I getting already? Uh, I'm surprised. It's it's a 70-degree day. I mean, you're taking time out to talk with us. We appreciate it. You should be out on the golf course right now. I should be, yes. Um, but um, it's okay. You know, this, this is great. I appreciate you having me on. Well, we're talking about the match play right now, and we're going to get a little insight that uh, Chick was setting up. So, Chick, set him up. All right. So, I'm not sure if you watched the, the match play at all. Well, my phone rings off the hook right now. Apologies for that. Um, we're just talking a little bit about the controversies in golf. And I'm not sure if you saw it or not, but Kevin Na and Dustin Johnson this week um, on a hole where DJ putted up to six inches. And before Kevin Na could seed the putt, DJ swatted it away. Um, and then Kevin's got a two and a half footer. And because Kevin is a, very much in his own head. He couldn't quite stand over his own putt before acknowledging that what happened. So he called DJ over and said, listen, your putt was good, but you hit it before I said it. So I'm going to call it good. And we're going to just go ahead and have this hole right here. Um, the funny thing is I told Fred, he put his hand on DJ's shoulder when he's explaining this, which I just think is that's, that's the mistake. You can't, that's like, Hey, little kid, when yeah. he's not a little kid. you can't, you can't do that. But it's a conceded, it was an unconceded putt. The PGA Tour officials said after the fact, you can't say it's good after the fact. Like, he should have lost the hole, blah, blah, blah. But, which, I mean, where do you stand on, you played in, in some, some, some events, you know, and, and stuff where, the, you know, you're supposed to concede a putt or, or you're supposed to at least verbally say it. What do you, where do you stand on Kevin Na stopping play and saying, listen, uh, you, you, you did something wrong, but I'm not going to call you on it. Uh, you know, you watch the Ryder Cup or whatever, and, you know, you see enough good players play that that's what you, you say it automatically. I, I, Fred obviously knows, you know, better th than I do, but I would think you see a ball rolls up to six inches or whatever. That's good. You know, and, and then there's nothing going on. Like, you know, novice, I don't know, I guess he was in his own world or mm -hmm. whatever, but, you know, but then on the other hand, you know, DJs knows how it works too. Like, you, you see on television, at least I, I can see guys look over at the other guy to right. make sure they get the word that you can pick it up. And um, I guess that didn't happen either uh, from DJ. So I don't know if I want to mess with DJ if I was Kevin <laughs> Not. That's the only thing I'm, I'm thinking. I need, a, I need a ladder to reach his shoulder. Well, that's nice. <laughs> nice. Just Does, that ever happened? Does that ever happen to you, Fred? No, that's never happened. But uh, it is DJ's responsibility really to wait for a concession uh he, he knows the rule you just can't go up there and slap it away you, you look over at the guy get an acknowledgement and then it's all it's all good so right. uh you know really the same thing when you talk about uh what was the girl's name on a ladies store that you were about to talk about oh, that NG got dq ng chun yeah 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 it's your responsibility to sign the scorecard so they can't they're not going to change that rule i mean as as um like defensenzo signed right. the wrong card and right. you know you're responsible for that card so as sad as it is and as silly as you might think it is it's still a rule and that's just the way you are responsible for the numbers on the card and you're responsible for uh when you sign it that everything on that card is correct so that's why they have that rule and you know, you know better. You can get a little sloppy. Sometimes you can forget. In fact, our officials, when we go into the officials' tent, really ask you if you forgot to sign 
you know, they might see it and they say, did you sign or right. you know, make sure you sign or whatever they say. They go, oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure I got that. But we also go hole by hole with the caddy. We usually go hole by hole with the official in the trailer with um, on his computer that has the scores because sometimes the computer's wrong, even though your card is right, because the guy that's uh, following you, the scorekeeper puts it, punches in a wrong number. Right. So you just got to make sure all your discrepancies are taken care of and, and you sign your card. So uh, that's, that's sad that that's happened, especially for deep Vincenzo. That's, <laughs> he won the masters. Yeah. He won the <laughs> masters, but didn't. Hey, hey, hey Fred, I, I got a question. When, when uh, you're playing in a, you know, a, a regular tour event, do you keep the other players score? Yes. Yes. We have yeah, to keep okay. the other. Yeah. We exchange cards. It, it's funny when you go to the European tour, they give you your own card and then you got to switch it around on our tour. They automatically give you the other guy's card. You okay. don't even ask, you don't get your, you never see your own card until it's, it's over. And then usually if the guy needs a ruling, the guy you call over is the guy that has your card to, if you're not asking an official, you're asking the guy, you know, I'm taking a drop. Is it okay? You know, make sure you're acknowledging that guy, which is another whole dis discussion with Patrick Reed. So, oh boy. You know, I mean, we can go on uh, like eight episodes on Patrick Reed if you really wanted to, um, or if oh, I really coach, wanted to. Coach, coach really likes guys who cheat. He really, he really does. Not at all. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's it. It's funny in golf and in basketball because you know they could call a foul basically on if you get a fickle referee. The way I see it, they could call a foul on every play if they really wanted to, okay. and and that just would be really really frustrating especially when they're not calling something coming down the stretch or all game and then coming down the stretch they call you for traveling or a touch foul or you never really touch the ball so um man the, the, the officials can change the whole dynamics of a basketball game yeah let's not talk yeah, let's not talk officials sure. by the way with coach oh by the way coach remember this so so gary williams we're speaking with the hall of fame basketball coach uh, gary williams we're all three terrapins um, we were doing the show, the golf show. So coach and I co-hosted a golf show for at that point, Comcast Sportsnet, uh, at congressional. And, you know, we we're, you know, because of coach's name, we were getting really good golfers. My name gets me nothing, uh, maybe, maybe a, a sandwich. Um, and I went down to 18, the scorer's tent because Phil Mickelson had just finished. And I go to his agent, Hey, can we get Phil to come up to the oh, set? Yeah to uh you know sit, sit down with us for a minute and you know he the agent just blew me off like i you know no no and i kind of said under my breath okay well i guess uh gary williams won't be interviewing phil mickelson and the agents went did you say gary the gary williams i said yeah yeah the basketball coach yeah he was oh um but well, can he come down here i'm like I, i'll find out sure whatever you know so then we went down and he said the agent said uh he'll do the interview it, one pr proviso that he gets to ask Gary questions too. I said, absolutely. Sure. So we did two or three golf questions and then the first, so I said, all right, Phil, part of this interview was the fact you could ask the coach questions. And the first question he asked you was about referees in college and the pros. Oh, and, sure. And I, I remember it very well. Right. He goes, um, Phil Mickelson goes, so why at the end of the games, do referees seem to call fouls on a team with a big lead and make the score closer than it really should be at the end of the game? And I'm thinking, 
Phil, you must bet a lot on basketball. <laughs> you know, but that, that was his question. And he's right. I mean, you, you see it happen all the time. I saw it last night on one call. There was no contact whatsoever after there was contact in every play, like you said, Fred. Yeah, you know, and all of a sudden the referee the whistle blows. You know, you know something's up when all 10 players turn around and look at the referee and like what happened, you know, like what, what just happened. And, and, you know, Phil, Phil was very serious about his question. And, you know, and so we're sitting here talking with Gary Williams. It's middle of March Madness, really the back end of it. Uh, and you mentioned uh, referee calls. I watched the women's game last night, um, Baylor and UConn. And it was a clear foul at the end. Oh, it was a foul. Yeah. Foul. And, you know, God bless the coach at Baylor. She didn't just come out and say it, but, you know, she was asked in the press conference afterwards about, you know, what did you see? And she says, well, what did you see? Because I got screenshots to say she got hit in the head and the elbow. So what did you see? Yeah. And you write it that way. Make sure you write it that way. And that was the most – was that the most difficult part of your job as a coach? Um, yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking about a, a situation where – Obviously, you either go to the Final Four or you don't go to the Final Four in women's basketball. And, you know, for those coaches now, you know, she's been to the Final Four, so it's it's not like she'll never – she never went or she'll never go again. But a lot of times you, you get one shot at it. And, like, if it gets taken away by that call – I mean, I've seen this still picture too where, you know, the rule is you have to stay uh, completely straight up. Your, your arms can't come down at all. Right to create any contact and the player's arms are definitely uh, past that verticality they talk about. So it's really a shame, you know, that it's really a shame that a game comes down. And a lot of times you can't get that call anyway. You, you, you know, they just won't call it. But in that, situ that situation, that was pretty obvious. And it wasn't like there was like eight people right around, you know, there, there was some space there where you could see pretty well what it should be called. You have retired just under 10 years ago. Uh, you are in the Hall of Fame. How long did it take for you to um, get that signature down, Pat, Gary Williams, HOF? Well, uh, you know, it's um, – you, you never start out with the idea that uh, that's going to happen. So when I left Maryland, uh, I, I was a JV high school coach in Camden, New Jersey, and I was – very happy to have that job because if I didn't have it, I would have been in Vietnam. So, wow. um, you know, it, you know, in my draft board, they made it very clear. The only reason I wasn't drafted was because I was, they called it an impoverished area back then. In other words, Camden's a, a poor section of New Jersey and uh, they needed teachers, you know, it was as simple as that. And I was 23. I, I didn't care. You know, it was a chance to coach and, you know, it, it was a great experience for me, but, uh, and then, you know, to get you, you feel kind of stupid signing your, your name like that for a while, believe me, because, uh, you know, what, what if the person, you know, because a lot of and, and Fred will tell you this a lot of times when people ask you for an autograph, they don't know who you are. Really, they're, 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 <laughs> some guy, especially with kids, some, some parent will go, hey, get that guy's autograph, you know, and then and the kid doesn't know. And the kid looks at it like, what's that stuff you put after your name? You know, what's mm -hmm. that mean? So. No, but it's a thrill. I, I mean, you, you never, that never gets old, uh, that part of it. Um, so I, I appreciate the, you know, the fact that I'm in there. I was scarred at a young age, uh, the autograph uh, process. Uh, my mom's friend uh, owned the Omni Storm Hotel in DC. 
had front row tickets to the Senators. We go to a game. I'm a, I forget how old I am, but I'm petrified because it's after the game. We're down in the locker room or in the hallway to the locker rooms, and I want to get uh, Bobby Mercer's autograph. That's the only name I know. I want to get Bobby Mercer's autograph. And finally, my mom's like, well, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ask him. So I, you know, stumble up. Mr. Mr. Can I have your autograph? And I get the autograph. I come back and I look at my family and I go, who's Jim Spencer? One guy. One guy. Guard ever since. That was, that was probably the only one Jim signed that day, too. So he was happy. Uh, so you came into Maryland after Fred left as the golf coach. Uh, yeah, we were close. I mean, the, the, the time you, I, I think Fred heard I was getting a basketball job. That's why he left. So, <laughs> no, that wasn't the case. <laughs> when did you, what was your first year at Maryland? 89, 90. 89 was my rookie year. So, yeah. yeah. So the same time we, you're right, Chick. It was the same time. Yeah. I just remember um, we were really going through those bad times when, you know, after bias died and, uh, you know, Gary had to come in and, and rescue the team and basically start all over. We were pretty much blackballed if I am using the right word, um, recruiting wise and everything else. Uh, Am I right on that? I mean, it had to be really, really yeah. difficult early. It was, it was really hard. You know, recruiting, uh, you know, there, there's there's no love lost in recruiting. And, and, you know, other coaches weren't above making sure that, uh, you know, the person we were recruiting and they were recruiting got all the articles from the Washington Post about uh, the drugs, the, the everything. And, you know, a lot of parents that, that live locally even, they were afraid to send their kid to Maryland for a while wow. because they, they felt there was a drug situation on campus because no, no, no athlete ever got more attention than Bias did. And, and it's true to this day. They do a special every year around the anniversary of his death. It, it's, it's really a tough thing. And uh, I think as time goes by, people um, have appreciated how good of a player uh, Len Bias was, but, mm -hmm. You know, that really, you know, we're really hurt. It hurt with the faculty. Uh, just, just, and Fred, you work there. You know how that goes. They, they, they think that the basketball team hurt the academic standing of the university. And that, that, that's, that's really tough to deal with when your own people aren't behind you when you're trying to get something that can be really good for the school. Uh, and I, I've never really totally understood that. I remember during that time, at least the way I remember it, was it came down to two people's heads had to roll. Somebody had to answer for Len Bias. It happens on campus. You know, the media is just going nuts. And it came down to Drizelle or Chancellor Slaughter, from what I remember. And I didn't think either one really deserved to be canned, but definitely Lefty had nothing to do with that. And uh, that, that was really unfair, I thought. Uh, but it's just the way, I mean, look at the way the media is now and the cancel culture and everything else. So, I mean, it, yeah. somebody said it had to roll and, and it was just really unfortunate. Yeah. See, let, let you, you know, it, it's, it, it, I, I'm sure you guys saw Mike Woodson, the, uh, he was mm -hmm. assistant coach with the Knicks, got the Indiana job. And that's a big job, you know, historically in college basketball. And Mike Woodson is going to be surprised and Chris Mullen was surprised at St. John's. I think Patrick Ewing was surprised at Georgetown. You know, pros that go right into college coach as the head coach. They can't believe, like, 
how much work there is outside of the basketball. In other words, going to class. Uh, Fred, you know this. You, you went through this with, with your players. Um, you know, the phone rings at 10 o'clock at night. It's never good. You know, it's something, something happened with one of your players or, or whatever. And just the time spent away from the court, away from the golf course as a coach is incredible. Whereas in the pros, in basketball, you basically, you might practice, uh, have a shoot around the day of the game. But then you go home and you might look at some tape of the game that night, but it's all pure basketball. You know, basketball is a, a big part of college coaching, but it's, it's not total like the NBA. You uh, retired 10 years ago. And, you know, in this area, every time Maryland basketball uh, loses, you know, it's always bring back Gary, bring back Gary, which I know that you wouldn't do because you, res you know, respect Mark Turgeon, what's going on there. But here's my question. In those 10 years, has another school tried to lure you out of retirement? Nothing really serious. Uh, a couple have. But, uh, you know, I retired. I was uh, just turning 67. And, you know, that, that, that is kind of old to start a program. I know the energy necessary. And, you know, I, I, I look at Indiana. You know, John Beeline is a good example. Mm -hmm. He did a great job in Michigan. Uh, did Indiana, for example, consider John Beeline as their head coach? I don't think he got seriously involved. And so it's, it's, it's one thing you still think you can coach, but you forget about, you know, the, the, the nights you couldn't sleep and then you had to go right to practice the next day because you had one day between games or, or whatever. And, you know, it, it helps to be young in, in that situation. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Plus, you know, I, I was fortunate. I got, I got a chance to coach at some really good places. You know, I went American U, Boston College, Ohio State, Maryland. I mean, it, it, I coached in three of the major conferences. So, you know, I kind of accomplished what I wanted to do as a coach. I mean, you never win enough games. You always want to win that next game. But at the same time, I, I knew what I had to do as a coach and what I had to put into it. And it just, you know, you get to the point where, I was tired and a lot to do, a lot has to do with how uh, the, the, the school is that, that you're at. How's the administration? Do they really do everything they can to help you and, and things like that? So that also enters the picture. Go ahead. I had, I had back in the day, and I always say this, and I know I've said, I said it to Chick and you, I'm sure in the past, but the heyday of the ACC basketball when we only had eight teams, and we had the home and homes. And you know, when you went to Duke, they had to come to your house, the Coldfield house. And, and well, and then the, the new arena after the fact. We, we, actually, how long has it been since we went to the Big Ten? Kind of lost track. Uh, four, 14, is that right, Chick? 14 years? Wow. It's been a long time. I wish, I wish, I, I still miss the ACC and the old, the old ACC with eight yeah. teams. That was when basketball was so fun. And all the teams were good. You, you had, uh, was it Kremens at Georgia Tech that brought right. his team up? And, uh, you know, Carolina and Duke were always Carolina and Duke. Then Virginia got really good, and, and you guys were always good. And I remember when you had the chance to win the Nationals, and, and uh, my buddy Randy Scott asked me to go to the National Final. And uh, I said, no, I haven't been to a game yet, and they win, and I'm not going to one, and, they, and then jinx them. So I didn't go. <laughs> I appreciate that, Fred. Okay. <laughs> no, it, it was, uh, you, you know, the ACC back then, like you said, I, I remember uh, when they went to nine teams, 
I remember seven out of nine going to the NCAA tournament. Uh, that's mm -hmm. how good the league was. And you knew every place. You, if you went to Clemson, you know, and that's, that's probably the football school of the original schools in, in the ACC. It was a really tough game. And they had some great players uh, at Clemson. Guys like Rick Barnes at Coast at Clemson. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's really uh, a tough basketball league. Now, they had a tough year this year, but their expansion, you know, they took all the Big East schools that played football. The ACC kind of broke up that Big East and took all the Louisville, Syracuse, all, all those teams um, because football, it's incredible the amount of money you make from a football contract. So the more good teams you have in football, the more it helps your conference. And, you know, Maryland going to the Big Ten. I mean, financially, it really helped the University of Maryland. It helped the athletic department. The athletic department was in debt. Um, and academically, it's, it's kind of like all large uh, research universities in the Big Ten, except for, say, Northwestern, I guess. But every, everything else kind of fits. But it's hard. You know, the Duke Carolina games are just so good that uh, it's tough to get away from that today. Mm -hmm. It's still tough to get away. So Gonzaga is number one. Does anybody beat them? And I ask you this because you still hold the record for seven wins over number one teams in the country. Um, they seem just like a juggernaut. Uh, they don't seem to be pressured much. And when they do, they, ha they have an answer. Um, so if you're facing Gonzaga, uh, the number one seed in this tournament, how do, you, how do you get your guys ready? Because if there's anybody that knows that question, it's you. Well, they're, they're so talented, and Mark Few is a very good coach. Um, the thing that Gonzaga does every year, they, they key for December because that's when they play Kansas. That's, that's when they play Virginia or whoever. They play some really good intersectional games. But then they go into their league for two months. And I think this year their closest game was 12 points uh, in their league. Mm -hmm. So naturally there's a little slippage there, you know, because the competition doesn't make you better and, you know, you get a little sloppy. Now, I've, I've watched them a couple of times in the NCAA. It looks like they're fine. You know, they, they are unbelievable. They have they could have three first-round draft choices in their starting lineup. And uh, they're really good offensively. The one thing they've been a little shaky at times is defensively, uh, but they haven't had to pay for that. One thing I think you'll, you'll see the teams do, um, say, if they play Michigan – uh, if they play either, you know, Kansas, or I'm sorry, either Houston, uh, you know, teams, teams like that, right. uh, Baylor, you, they're going to try to beat, beat up uh, legally. But like any time you cut through the lane, there's going to be somebody's going to bounce a guy. Don't let them make a clean cut. Uh, they're going to try to bang them on the, on the glass and things like that. And, you know, they, Gonzaga does have a reputation, a little bit of a reputation of being, uh, very, uh, I wouldn't say soft, but not as aggressive as, say, Houston or somebody like that. And so that's what those teams, that's their only chance, is to play a physical game against them and hope it bothers Gonzaga. But not, nothing's bothered them yet. Nothing. I got to tell the it's, it's, and uh, how'd your golf game, by the way, coach? My golf game. Hey, Fred, we're, I need help. Oh, I, I mean, no, you, you get, you know, they, they come out with all these golf balls that go forever and all that stuff. The ones I bought don't go as far now. It's, it, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> they don't you go know. far for me either. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Fred and I got to play. I got to play with Fred uh, last year. Uh, 
down at the Bear Club. And it was a great experience. Oh, cool. but, you know, you come out of the north, you come out of the north. Oh, that was the funny one. They have a pretty big range there. And so I'm all the way down the one end. And Fred was down the, the other end of the, uh, the thing because that's where the pros go. Correct. You know, to hit balls where they don't hit with us. No. You, you know. no. Who wants and to so, see that? Yeah. That's what I mean. That might affect them for a long time. Um, <laughs> but like I look down the end, it's probably 70 yards from one side of the practice tee to the other. And there's this guy down there and I'm, you know, I'm trying to, you know, get some kind of swing going. I'm looking down. I see this guy. He's like unbelievable. Hitting. It was Rory McElroy oh. hitting balls. And like, I'm, I'm, I tell a guy next to me, I say, Hey, that guy's really got a good swing down there. That's how good I am about golf. You know, that's, that's like no kidding, you know? You know, the first time I went to Bears Club when I was threatening to move to Jupiter, and we were there for about six, seven months. But uh, I go there one day, and, and I was hurt. I had a, you know, my back and a hamstring, so I wasn't playing. My son was hitting balls, and, and uh, he was in the back, and I was leaving for some reason. And they had Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, oh. and some other guy that was not one of the pros. But these all four are hitting balls. And they're all just killing it before they go to the first tee. And I just had to wait. You know, I'm sitting there standing behind watching them. And, and Roy turned around, hey, Fred, how you doing? And I'm, I'm just watching how that would – just imagine how good it would be to hit a ball like that. And then I watched him hit off number one. And it's just a, a totally different game. It's it's amazing how far these kids hit it nowadays and, and the way the game has really changed. It's it's amazing. I had a, a quick story with Drizel. I get a lesson. I gave him a lesson in the mid-'80s. Oh early age when I was coaching and he says hey hey Fred you know you mind giving me a lesson I went no nah, come on over so he plays right-handed so I said well let's just start with a seven iron and he's sitting in a seven iron he's got about a 20 30 foot slice on his seven iron I said lefty first of all I'm surprised you hit right-handed yeah you know I, I play golf right hand I always play right-handed but I got this slice I said yeah I kind of noticed that I said <laughs> uh so um yeah, you've had that your whole time? He says, yeah, you think my seven iron's bad. What do you see my driver? <laughs> so he takes his driver off, and he can't even hit the range at University of Maryland. He starts as far left as going out to the right. And I uh, just said, wow, this this was going to be a tough day. And then I remember watching Gary. I'll bring this up. I'm I'm working the range now. I'm, I'm selling the golf balls. And uh, uh, no, no, I was there with the guys. I'm sorry, because I, I had gotten on tour. So it was my early years on tour. And Gary comes in and, you know, we have the range mats there and he just takes the center mat there. And we're watching Gary hit and Gary hits a few and he gets a little frustrated, snaps it, gets another one, snaps it. Gary, you broke a whole set of clubs. And <laughs> yeah, well, you know. it, it, I, I had a new set. Nobody knew that. <laughs> hey, I got a quick question for you. A guy, a guy like uh, Roy McElroy, what he's going through right now, what, what is, how, how do you get into that, you know, as a professional golfer? Where, where does your game go for, for a, a player like yourself or like a McElroy? What, what happens there to him? Well, he, he's one of the best interviews you can ever give or get uh, from a guy because he's so open about what he's going through. And he actually admitted a couple of weeks ago in an interview uh, after a round that he was chasing distance and that DeChambeau kind of had an effect on him. And he wanted to get a little more distance. The irony to that whole thing was 
Roy's the number one driver on the tour statistically for length and accuracy. It was ridiculous. And everybody envied his game off the tee. And he could actually has separated himself from most of the field because he is so long and he is keeps the ball in play so well. And yet he decides I'm going to go and chase five more yards or 10 more yards, which is really hard to do. And he admitted that his swing started getting a little bit uh, underneath of him. And he wasn't, once the club drops down underneath and you're coming from underneath this way, you got to flip it. You either to square the club up, you got to split it with your hands or you're holding on and, and you leave it right. So the swing became a lot more timing where before it was all, he was in such a good position, such a natural, unbelievable fast uh, hip turn. They did a uh, sports science on him that his hip speed from when he turns into his backswing to when he gets through on the on the follow through his hips were 33 percent faster than the next fastest guy on the tour oh my god and it's just it was an amazing so he he has this incredible explosiveness but when the club was getting stuck underneath it became a pure timing move and he's lost it so i think he'll get it back um I, i guarantee he'll get it back but uh he's uh the word is is he went to pete cowan because Pete Cowan is more accessible than his coach right now because his coach is over in Europe and uh, Pete's really good. And, and uh, I think Rory will be back. It'll just take him a little while now to get his confidence back. Uh, But golly, all these guys are so good nowadays. It's hard to stay number one once you become number one and just to be top 10 is ridiculous nowadays. Uh, How long? So, which puts in perspective how great Tiger was. Tiger was, exceptional uh yeah. nobody there'll never be another tiger i don't ever believe there's one the way that the game is now and i just don't see a guy having that combination of fierce competitiveness and the work ethic and everything that goes into it uh probably the work ethic is bright bryson dechambeau he's yeah. ridiculous work ethic but uh i still don't see him being another tiger i just can't see that happening we're talking with Hall of Fame coach Gary Williams. You got a few minutes, coach? Yeah, okay. Sure. So, the greatest shot I've ever seen on TV in golf is not Tiger Woods, not Fred Funk, not Bryson DeChambeau. It's uh, Gary Williams in the Big Break Celebrity Challenge. Oh, yeah. Against his other coaches, his good friend Jim Beheim, Jim Calhoun, and Tom Penders. And I want you to explain what took place there. And by the way, the backdrop of the story is, and we can admit it now, you weren't always the best of friends with Calhoun. You know, it was, there was a little bit of tension there oh, when you guys competitors. played. Yeah, competitors, right? So explain yeah. to folks what happened. Well, the, the big break, they did it. We were down there for a Coaches versus Cancer event um, uh, near Jupiter. And we were all, uh, the, the people were there filming a big break that they show, you know, on the golf channel, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so they asked the coaches if they'd have some guys who would want to do the same thing. So we all agreed to do it. And so the one where they had the frame with the kind of the fake glass in there where you're supposed to, you know, break the glass, and, you know, you got to keep it low for about 30 yards probably to, to hit the glass. My ball hit the wood frame and came back and hit Calhoun on the knee. Well, that ended me for the day because I, you know, it was one of the greatest shots ever. So uh, it, it, it was he. Jim wasn't real happy with that either. No, and I go like, "Hey, Jim, 
like I could do that. I could really try to do that, hit that, and have it come back and hit you. I wish I was that good, you know. <laughs> but he, he was upset. He was a little upset. Yeah. Did you guys ever play golf together after that? Yeah, we, we played in the uh, same um, tournaments. We, we, we were lucky with that coaches versus cancer. We play U.S. Open courses. Sure. Uh, you know, we, we, we played at Oakmont. We, we played um, um, all, all over the place. We played at, uh, what's, what's the place in Toledo right there we played? We played up in Rochester, Oak Hill. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. We played some great tracks. What's your best golf story, Coach? Mine? Yeah. I have one great one, and it's it's um, Dave Gabbard, uh, the late Dave Gabbard, was commissioner of the Big East, and we got to be really good friends, Bayheim, myself, uh, P.J. Colissimo, and then John Havacek went with us. uh, Yeah, it was pretty cool, because Gabbard and him are really good friends. And we we were playing Turnberry. This is before Trump bought it, okay? So... We come to number 18, as everybody, the wind was 25 miles an hour, but it was at our back. So my caddy says, just hit an iron off the tee. And I said, well, I can't hit it that far. You know, I'll never get to the green. I thought it was probably, for us, it was probably, 18 was probably playing 380, I'd say. And it's, the backdrop is the hotel right up on the hill behind there. And so Bayheim and Carlissimo was in the, the force in ahead of me. So they put it out, they were finished. So I hit a good drive. And I had about 180 left. And the caddy says, just hit an eight iron. It's really hard up there, the ball run. I hit an eight iron into the cup for an eagle at Turnberg. Wow. And I don't tell that story very often, but that was the biggest golfing thrill I've ever had. Turnberg. And Bayheim and Carlissimo had to kind of eat it. You know, they were standing behind the green. And I think they were yelling at me during my swing, but I didn't let it <laughs> It was tough. You would have been proud of me, Fred. You know, well, I'm, guy. I'm always proud of you. You know, I, I remember incredible. I was telling Chick that uh, when we had that senior event at uh, Caves Valley, and I think you played the pro am that day. It was pro am day, and you played with McCarran, and you all were sitting. Oh up. Yeah. yeah, you were sitting up on the porch. I was on the putting green there, and you guys were having a great time. And and I ended up sitting up there joining you guys. I had never met Bashadi at that point, and he's a great guy. But we had such a great time sitting on the porch talking and then every time I've had a an opportunity to play golf with you it's been been a blast and and uh I just I just love it but so I, I love I can't really look forward to when we have a tournament back in the Maryland area and we can hook back up yeah that'd be nice yeah you have to you have to come over sneak over and play burning tree if you get the time if you, you know I've never played you, burning you told tree me that you yet. told me that what I've, never played, I've never played burning tree you know I got to the gate twice and they turned me around no I'm no, not. no 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 you know who's played it? Chick Hernandez has played Burning Tree, and Fred Funk hasn't played it. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I've never had. And, and, and Coach brought me out. It was the day, and it's the I tell folks this. This is the day uh, that when they brought Tigers Tournament to uh, the area, and we were at Congressional, of uh, which Coach is a member there as well. And, you know, it was a Tuesday, I think. We were going to sit down with Tiger. And, and Coach will remember this. You know, it's in the back uh, by the pool section. It's um, and they're going to come right out of the locker room and Tiger's going to walk out. Well, for some unknown reason, all of my people from the network were there in suits and ties. And coach looks at me and goes, you're going to have to move these people. I said, oh, don't worry. I'm, I'm it's, it's going to happen. I'm just going to I'm, I'm going to let them sit, stand around in about five minutes beforehand. They're going to be gone. And so at five minutes, I called our producer, Frank Christofoli over, said, Frank, uh, these people need to move. He goes, I'll, I'll get them. I said, no, no, no. 
now. Get him out now. Yeah. Let's let's go because I don't want any riffraff when this guy walks out. And Tiger walked out, came in, sat down. He saw Coach immediately started talking about basketball and how come you're not sweating? And Coach is like, well, I only sweat against when I coach against Stanford. And we did this tremendous interview. And then he sat there for what, Coach? Another 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, it was, it was a chance for him not to have to – he could relax a little bit. I think it was just, right. you know, probably in between media stuff. And he was like, Oh, and by the way, the first thing he said, he goes, I was at your Stanford game in 2001 and I haven't forgotten that game yet. You know, <laughs> here's Tiger Woods, like, you know, like just come on. Hey, Fred, I got a quick question for you. If it's okay. Okay. What, what was it like to win the players championship and, and like I've heard, I've heard other people say that's the best field in golf. You get the, the, the best top 50 or whatever it is. Everybody plays it and it's the best field that had to be a thrill. Wasn't it? I mean, that oh, yeah. a lot well, of people think that should be a fifth major, right? Yeah. Based on the field strength. Yeah, it is. It's, it's definitely the strongest field on a really hard golf course. The irony is that TPC was the first TPC, the first stadium golf course. Uh, Pete Dye put everything into that one at the time, and uh, it was, uh, or it's grown in in recognition every year. It gets better and better. This year was phenomenal. We had great weather. Um, the excitement of the golf was incredible. Uh, 17 is always unbelievable. Uh, I have so many stories I could tell you about that, but winning that tournament when I had moved to Ponte Vedra in 91, so it really became my hometown and I had my Funks Punks fan club and, and I had, they're about a hundred strong. At least they're all wearing the same, same uh, shirts. And ironically, it was Carolina blue. I don't know why they had Carolina blue, but it was yeah, Carolina that's disgusting. blue. That's disgusting. And, and uh, I, I said, I don't approve of that color, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was really, that's my signature event uh, or win I should say. And, and I do think it deserves to be a, a fifth major. It just changes the whole record books, whether they ever really yeah. do that or not. Uh, change all the numbers. Nicholas won two of those, and Tiger, I think, has only won one of those. That, so that would give Nicholas one more over him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's, you know, that that chase to, to Jack is sadly over, I think. Um, I think a healthy Tiger Woods like he was before. It didn't surprise me that he won again. And then they actually won a major again when he won the masters, but boy, I hope he can come back from this and just have a normal life. This is, this is going to be a tough one. Right. Um, I'm going to circle back real quick on the burning tree story. So we get done with tiger and it's afternoon and coach goes, all right, I'll be back when we're live at six o'clock. And I said, where, where are you going? And he kind of just his head. What's that? He goes, I'm going across the street. I'm thinking, what the hell's across the street? And he goes, I'm, I'm going to the tree. And I sat there for a second and I just put my lower lip out and kind of pouted. And he's like, do you, do you want to go? I'm like, yeah. We didn't play. I don't think we played one hole consecutively. We got in the cart and you said, check this out. We played one hole and then just all over the place. It Greatest was thing. Awesome. It was awesome. I played it a few times since with you and one of the other members there. It's a great track. So I'm officially inviting myself and Fred for the next one. Fred's in town, coach. So just, just know yes. that's happening. The, uh, that's a great thing about that place. In normal times, you can grab a cart and play 18 holes if you don't mind jumping around a little bit. But it gets very little play, which is also for the D.C. area. You know, that's, that's a tremendous thing, too. Sure. 
All right, two predictions here before we let the coach go. Uh, one, can DJ win the Masters two times in five months? For me? Yeah. He's got to play better. Uh, I, I just noticed he pulled out of the uh, Valero uh, tournament in mm -hmm. San Antonio. And I, I assume it's because he's not playing as well as he feels like he'd like to going into the Masters. But he can't – I mean, when he, when he gets hot – he might be as good as there is. I yeah. mean, he, he's amazing. And what was that second question? I'm getting old. So, and the second question is, um, we are, we are, a, you know, a week out from uh, deciding a national champion. Does anybody beat Gonzaga or is this, is this a done deal? I, I, I don't, I think Gonzaga is the best team, but we all know how that goes in a one game situation. Mm -hmm. If you have a bad night, uh, you get a guy hurt in practice the day before anything can happen, but, I, I just I, I I become a believer in Gonzaga. I didn't I, I didn't like who they were playing in January and February, and I thought it would really hurt them. But it looks like they just they're going to plow through it. But they're going to see different styles, though. They're they're going to get beat up a little bit, and we'll see how they react to that. Gary, well, who's the greatest Good. player you ever coached? Greatest player, the the one that got the um, there's two that got the most awards. Joe Smith around 94, 95, he uh, was the freshman of the year nationally, and he was the Naismith Award winner of sophomore year, which goes to the best player. And he was the number one player taken in the NBA draft. Uh, Juan Dixon, all-time leading scorer, uh, MVP of the Final Four, national champion, ACC player of the year. And then Steve Francis, talent-wise, for one year, he was spectacular. You know, Steve was all rookie team in the NBA, then an NBA all-star team his second year. So he was very talented. So those were, and Gravis Vasquez was the most fun to coach. He, he was ridiculous. No question. Chick loved him. No Chick question. Him. And I think folks who are fans of college basketball, we've seen a bunch of coaches and players, and you've been through it yourself with guys jumping to the league when you knew they weren't ready. You were in their corner, and you said, take a look right. at, at what the NBA scouts say. But I'm telling you, you'll be better. And Gravis is one of those guys, stayed four years, was infinitely better when he got to the league, was long, had a nice career, and then got injured. But, again, as you said, one of the most fun guys to, I'm sure, coach. And for me to cover a guy who didn't know the English language, you know, when he got here, ridiculous. Yeah. He graduated in four years, um, and he had to take courses, uh, English as a second language, and he – managed to do that and still take enough courses to get credit, to get a degree, which is incredible. But, you know, his, his, um, his greatest was in 2009, he had 35 points, 12 rebounds, 11 assists to beat North Carolina, who won the national championship that year. In 2010, he hit it like a running hook to yeah. beat Duke, who won the national championship that year. And that's, he was best against the best teams, which, you know, you really appreciate that as a coach. Right. All right, one last question. Sorry, uh, two thousand two, you win the national title. We've had, we've blown that topic off completely. So you've been there, done that, uh, as far as reaching the mountaintop. Everybody talks about Dixon and Blake, Wilcox, Lonnie Baxter. Who was the one guy who you had to have in order to get what you got done? I think Byron Mouton was the glue guy. He he was the one guy of the starters that didn't play in the NBA, but he played in Europe for. 10 years, I'd say. And, and the big thing about that is you, if you don't get with the right team or, you know, it, it can be tough to make the NBA. But Byron Mouton, he'd guard anybody from um, 
the other team's point guard to the power forward. Mm -hmm. He was that quick and he was that strong. He averaged 22 points a game at, at Tulane before he transferred to Maryland. And, you know, obviously he wasn't going to score as much for us, but he accepted that. He accepted the defensive role. And he made a big play in the Indiana game, the national championship game, where he, he saved the ball and threw it back in. And we hit a jump shot to Indiana had made a run at us. So um, he's a great one. He's doing very well uh, in the Maryland area. He runs a lot of uh, things for kids and uh, does does some teaching of basketball. And he's one he's one of the good people. Well, Coach, uh, me and Fred will look for that uh, text when you say uh, there's a tea time open at Burning Tree. Um, we really appreciate uh, your time you've done obviously Maryland proud uh, and we're uh, I'll echo you know well, so of you guys and uh, Fred you know please text and, and Chick uh, it's okay if you text me <laughs> that's always, great I always. will for sure when I'm coming through the area I'll definitely no you, if you get back up yeah not not that not that you couldn't just say I'd like to play Bernie Tree and right. be like a thousand guys that would get you on there. But. We can do a little yeah. home and home, Burning Tree Manor. Just you know, that's that's fine. I'm, I'm, yeah. Is Bashadi a member? Is, is yes. a member there? Yes, he is. He is all right. Hell, he'd play with it. He'd, he'd definitely play. Oh, that'd be no, get four of us. That'd be fun. That'd be a yeah. hell of a chick. That's that's you're, you're still in the force. Okay, chick, all right. As soon as Fred, I hear one more Fred, name, I'm out. Hey, Fred, name another name. That's now. it. That's it. I'm out. Damn it. <laughs> I heard, Damn it. I think we can play five. You can play five. You can. You can. Yep. Look, we'll bring Dan Snyder. Oh, never mind. No, 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 no. <laughs> Coach, thanks very much, man. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks, uh, continue to be safe, and uh, let's uh, let's play in the next couple yeah. weeks when this weather's really good. Definitely. Great to see you, Fred. Yeah, Enjoy you too, it. Gary. Take care, buddy. Thank you. Uh, okay. That's Hall of Fame coach Gary Williams, uh, who's very busy during these times, by the way. Uh, as you can imagine, during the March Madness, um, so very cool. All right. So let's wrap things up here. I've got a few more topics for you real quick. Uh, how many putters do you own? Huh. I got a great story there. So okay. this has probably been 10 years ago. I had the first tee guy from Jacksonville call me. He says, Hey, Fred, you got any clubs? I said, yeah, come on over. So I go through my closet and I gave him 175 putters. I'm sorry. What? 175 putters. I kept 50 oh. and, and, I probably used every one of them at some point in my, <laughs> in my life. And oh my. I gave him about six sets of clubs. He came with a Dodge Durango and I filled the back completely up with, with golf clubs. And, uh, and yes. So I, I had a lot of clubs. Yeah. So you're a, you're a hoarder basically. You just well, not anymore. I don't have, but maybe three sets left that are full sets. Wow. And, and I probably have about 70 putters, 60 putters, but, God, Most of them are, man. well, you go on a tour and they all throw you, it's like Toys R Us every week. Right, right. And you get a putter and then they leave and I'm stuck with the putter. And then I'd never ship them back and they don't right. ask for them back. And, and so I end up with a, a lot of clubs. Uh, nowadays, it's a little harder to do that with the full sets because they, um, they know a lot of pros were getting clubs and then selling them or giving them to their buddies. And really. And so they take the serial numbers down yes. and they, yeah, yeah, they make sure that they're not, 
hoarding them and selling them or whatever you're going to do with them. So that's funny because my my brother in law was an engineer for Ping for 30 years, and you know my wife when I got married into the family, she says don't ask him for any clubs. And I said that's fine. I've I've got my own connections. That's I'm I'm okay with that. And I knew I was in I knew I was in with him about two years in because whenever he came back to town, it was carte blanche for me to play golf, and we would set up I'd set up you know a, a week's worth of golf at all the finer mm-hmm. places, right? Um, and one day he says, do you want, uh, to get some pings? And I'm like, uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, I would. Cause I can get you like a two thirds discount, whatever. I said, yeah, sure. And so, you know, we did that. And then when I went out to visit him, he shocked me by sending me out to the, to the place, uh, the ping plant. And I got mm-hmm. fitted on, on the range there, which was just phenomenal. Um, but I, uh, the reason I brought the whole putter thing up is because Matt Kuchar went to the garage and used a putter last week, and Tommy yeah. Fleetwood changed twice during the tournament uh, his putters. It's such a such a personal. I mean, can't be personal for you. One hundred and freaking fifty putters. Well, I use I use four in four competitive rounds. I'm what? Yeah, I've done that multiple times. I don't know what turn. I did it so many times. Really? Oh yeah. Yeah, it doesn't, you know, it's in the closet if it doesn't work. So are they are they were the putters close in model or did you just go in a different direction? Because you say you're so disgusted. Well, with now that I'm a mallet guy. Back then I was more of a like a ping guy. Right. Uh, ping answer guy. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I that was during any era of types of putters. Like I'm, I remember getting through Q school with an old TP Mills uh, custom putter with a little flange, kind of a blade with a flange on it, kind of like the old bullseyes. And um, I still have that one. I didn't get rid of that one. Uh, Just for, I will never use it again because it doesn't have a sweet spot. (laughs) 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 Um, All right, final question. And we got Masters next week. So hopefully uh, we'll be back next week uh, with a, a cool guest. We'll work on that. Um, cause it's a special week. You know, you've been there. I worked down there. I worked the tournament three years and they gave local media. I'll tell the story next week, but they gave local media one day a year to play. It was guaranteed. Not like the lottery on the Monday afterwards. We got a chance to play in May right before they closed it down. So three times I played it one time, right-handed the next two times left-handed. I'll tell that story next week. Um, huh. yeah, I'm a savant. Not really. Um, <laughs> The pressure on Ricky Fowler at the Valero Texas Open. He has to win in order to qualify for the Masters. He's not playing very well. Um, I I credit it to just, you know, he got married. Whenever you get married, your game goes south for a while. That's just my personal opinion. Um, nothing that yeah, I went through. Not, yeah. nothing, not, nothing that I went through, wink, wink. Um, but I don't play on that level. Uh, the pressure, it has to be phenomenal uh, for Mr. Fowler. Well, that would be self-imposed because I think if you're really thinking I have to win and I got to get to the Masters, and yeah, that'll be overwhelming and probably nothing good will happen from that. But right. I think he's truly in a process of working through whatever he's working through, and I'm sure it's both physical and mental. There's uh, just things I don't know exactly what's going on because he's normally a great putter. Yeah, but I think I think his uh, long game is putting the heat on the putter, and he's not his proximity. The hole is not as good. He's, his no. dispersion is probably a little wider, and he's just not as sharp as he used to be. And he's trying to tighten everything up. Whether he does it, and when he does it, you know who knows. Uh, I'm a big Ricky fan. I played with big him time. last winter big with time. with Taylor, 
uh, we were at a Madison club in Palm Springs and, um, we joined one day, he was there all week. And then one day we finally hooked up and, and I've met him. I never played golf with him, but I met him a lot. And he's always such a gracious guy, just down to earth guy. Big time. He was phenomenal that day. He was so much fun to play with and just, just a total gentleman. Unbelievable. He's just a great guy. And I became a huge Ricky fan after that, that day. So I really wish him all the best. Um, it just shows how hard it is when you, you just lose a little bit of that edge. And right now that edge is gone. You know, before he went out there knowing he was one of the best mm-hmm. and now he's trying to get back to being one of the best and being competitive because he used to be competitive week in and week out. Yeah. Everybody gave him a hard time because he didn't win enough. Well, it's, it's right. being competitive is pretty good. It's, you know, I mean, being top 10 to top 15 in the world is, is uh, ex- really good golf. So uh, I'm a big fan of him. I hope I hope he knocks it off. That'd be a phenomenal story. 178th in approach to green, 176th in putting, which is really highly uncharacteristic for Ricky Fowler. I'll tell you one Fowler story. Uh, many, many, well, many, many. A couple of years ago, um, I'm I was hired to be the MC for this Red Bull event down in D.C. right on the water, and they're going to bring Ricky Fowler in to hit balls off a makeshift tee box to a makeshift green. They built this green right in the this water fountain. Spectacular. 111 yard shot. Um, I don't, you know, I've never met Ricky and I come in and they say, uh, Ricky's right in that car right there. He's taking a nap, which is, you know, just bush. fine. He wakes up, comes out. We meet, we talk a little bit, put on our microphones. We walk down to the hole, which you cannot see from the tee box. We walk down to the hole. He kind of takes a peek. We got our mics on. It's the entire crowd can hear. And there are 30 people in the crowd who have been chosen with a number on a ball. So if he makes closest to the pin or, or uh, sinks a shot, the person that correlates with that number gets some prize. So we walk back to the, to the tee box. You have to climb up. It's like 12, 15 feet high. It's very small. I'm like, am I okay up here? Cause like I can feel the wind from his wedge as it goes by <laughs> me and he's got his bag with the sponsor on it. And he's like, no, you're fine. All the clubs are in there. So he starts hitting balls. We can't tell other than a walkie-talkie and or a crowd reaction where the ball is. A couple of them you can see going in the right direction. Then he hits one, and there's like the silence and then this roar. And I just go, that's got to be close. And he just looks at me and goes, no, that's in. And sure enough, boom, they said, that's in the hole. Great. The second one, the next shot he hits, he jars it from 111 and pops out. At which point <laughs> they say, they say, he jarred it and I go, Oh my gosh. And I put my hands up and I hit his golf bag. And in slow motion, I just turn and look. There's no chance for me to save the bag because I'm going to go 15 feet down too. It's not good cement down there. And I just see the slow motion of the bag going and I'm like, <gasps> and it goes crap. Right now he just peers over and I go, Rick, I'm so sorry. And he goes, I, I, as long as the driver's okay, I'm fine. I've had that driver forever. And I like look down and the caddy's there. His girlfriend at the time, not his future wife, his girlfriend's Olin Brown's daughter. Daughter. And yeah. she is just looking up at me and giving me this look like, if I get near you, I'm going to pull your esophagus out to the top of your head. That's what it felt like. And then the caddy looks up at Ricky and goes, we're good. Because the driver was fine. He didn't care about the irons because you can get those things done. Yeah. Whatever, right. And he's playing a congressional the next day in the practice round. So he looks up and goes, we're good. I'm like, ah. And then the next day, uh, we're now at congressional, and um, you know he comes off the practice round. And he's just like, "Should I be near you? Or are you going to break something else of mine?" I'm like, "Oh, come on, dude!" 
Uh, and I wish I wish him well. I, I really do. He's uh, good for the game. Great story. And you're right. If he were able to pull this off, it would be ridiculous. Um, I don't see it happening just because the numbers don't lie at this point. Um, but it's going to be sad if he's not in the Masters. Uh, but it's, a, it's an amazing he's – he's a really good dude, and he's the guy who helps me out with my charity for men supporting women with cancer. He has donated, uh, you know, a, a walking the bag uh, during a practice round when, when the mm-hmm. golf tournament was here. Um, so really, really cool dude. All right, man. Uh, great catching up with you. Uh, we'll talk next week uh, prior to the Masters. Uh, get your thoughts on Augusta National and your memories there. We thank the Hall of Fame coach, Gary Williams. Good to see him. Let me tell you something. I think he's 76. Man, he looks good. He looks great. I couldn't believe it. I, when he said he retired at 67, I I did the Maryland math really quick. It took me a while. <laughs> but I'm going, oh, shit, he's, he's three years from 80. Yeah. I'm going, holy smoke, he looks awesome. I played golf with him, I think, last year. He's played in my golf tournament, too, every year. He said yes. He's donated uh, for some um at, at congressional to, to help in my auctions. And I've played golf with him. And – I mean, the stories are legendary. How you know how fierce competitor he is, but when he's playing golf really well, and it's fun to watch, and you can see his gait change. You know, it's just really, mm-hmm. it's really cool, really cool. Um, yeah, right, really man. Anything else? No, that's it. I think we're going to try. Uh, I'm going to try to reach out to Hal Sutton. Okay. Uh, for next week, and uh, see if I can get him. If not, we'll we'll work on it. We do have some. Uh, Caddies in line that are hilarious. We got Bubba Watson's caddy Teddy, who's phenomenal guy, ridiculous. And my old caddy Mark, that is yeah. Washington native, Maryland native. Yep. And uh, did he play for you? Yeah, he did. He did. When I got out on tour, he came out. He said, "I'll go out for like three tournaments." Well, it's been thirty years, thirty-two <laughs> years now, <laughs> however long it's been, and he's still doing. Now he's doing the books. I mean, he's he's amazing yeah. and. He's actually uh, probably one of the most, if not the most respected guy in that world of caddies. Yeah. Because he does such a great job. He, um, all the, every, almost every caddy has Mark's yardage book and greens book. And we can talk about the greens book. I was actually talking to him the other day and I asked him about what I told you. The greens should be, greens book should be illegal. And uh, he says, yeah, they should be. So he agreed. (laughs) We'll get into that. That's awesome. All right, for Fred Funk, I am Chick Hernandez. Uh, You've been listening to Terps on the T, and what we learned today is that I'm going to have to work my ass off to get that fourth invite to Bernie Tree with Gary Williams and Fred Funk, but we're going to make that happen this year. No, you're in. I'm the one that wants to play it. You've already played it. I want to play it, too. I want to play it every single day. you kidding me? All right, Freddie, great to catch up with you, man. We'll see you next week. All right, take care, Chick. Thank you guys for watching and listening to Terps on the T. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.